We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow Him fully. This week's message is taught by our teaching pastor, Brian Hunt. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. Look at that thing. Oh, look at that. That's just horrific and just makes me itchy just even looking at it. So, uh, hey, just glad you're here. My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here. Grateful that you're, you've uh, chose to be with us here today. And uh, as we kind of, before we dive into anything, I just wanted to kind of give you just a couple of announcements to let you know. Uh, first is just that we've, we've talked about it the past couple of weeks, this idea of strengthening the curve as we go into 2021. And so I just want to thank you for uh, being a generous church. And if, you're, if you push pause during the pandemic, we'd, all, uh, we'd love for you to be a part of the mission here at Crossroads. And if you've never given and it's Maybe you're, you're just brand new. We'd love for you to consider being a part of what's happening here. And if you're a faithful giver, thank you so much for all that you do. And uh, we know that at the end of the year that there's opportunities for end of the year giving. And so we just wanted to give you the chance to say, hey, we'd, we'd love for you to consider Crossroads in that. Uh, just so you guys kind of know, and you should know kind of where what's happening, that $190,000 this year has been given directly to foreign missions and local missions. And so that's $20,000 more than even our budget. So way to go, guys. That's just, that's just fantastic. Um, uh, $86,000 went to benevolence, which means that we help people in our community outside these walls, and, and that included 3,631 3, meals to 140 shifts of first responders, widows and widowers, uh, just people that are in need. It's just so cool. Um, Above, in three blood drives that we conclude we did three blood drives and that is that we sucked out 130 pints of your blood so that's awesome way to go to way to squeeze it out people that's so good 450 articles of warm clothing was given out to the local community and guys most importantly uh, over 35 baptisms in this crazy year people meeting Jesus and so you're you're a part of that so thank you so much uh, for doing that. So if you'd like to consider giving, these are three ways you could do that on the app. You could text to give or you can obviously do that uh, through the mail. Uh, crossroadsgrace.org slash give gives you an opportunity to consider just some tax benefits that are available just because of 2020 and how weird it was that the government allowed for. So you could take a look at that and also to be able to, to be a part of our mission. Uh, but guys, it is Christmas week, baby. Yeah, Christmas week online in the parking lot. It's here, guys. I can't believe it. So excited. And we've got some fun stuff that's happening. Robbie's already told you a little bit about those movies, and don't forget that there's two more to go tonight. The Star, the 21st is The Grinch, Hot Chocolate, Fire Pits, Light Show. It's so much fun. So easy way to invite some family and friends uh, and come out and just hang out with us. So we'd love for you to do that. But then, guys, Christmas Eve, like that is the Super Bowl. That's what we're talking about. That's when more people than ever before will say yes to you inviting them to church. So we want you to consider being part of our one of our uh, six Christmas Eve services at December 23rd, 3, 5, and 7. And then on Christmas Eve itself, 1, 3, and 5. Those are in person, and we'd love for you to be a part of that. And then the drive-in candlelight services we're super stoked about outside. We're looking like maybe real flames this year, so really pumped about that. And so 8 and 10 p.m., it's a great way to usher in Christmas. And uh, we'd encourage you to be a part of that and invite some people to that. Again, like I said, more than ever before, we need the hope of the world uh, to be told to as many people as possible. Possible. And people will say yes if you just invite them. So we just want you to do that. Be a part of something special here at Christmas at Crossroads. But before we do that, I want to pray for Christmas Eve services as we do every year. And I ask that you would do the same throughout this week uh, as we do this. Let me pray. 
Father, we, we come to this time every year, and it's this time where we remember your son Jesus and your plan to, to bring him into this world as a baby. And God, we, we know every year we get excited, and we get excited about the lights and all the, the, the family and the friends and the cookies and all the stuff that happens with that. But I just believe more than ever this year, it just means something more in the weird world that we're in. So God, I just ask that you would help us to, to sink into your love even more this Christmas, that we would invite as many people as we possibly could to these services, and, and that you would just overwhelm us with your love. We pray for the services, for the health of those involved. We pray for technical elements and all the things that are involved with that, and tag team members and all the needs that are there. God, we just pray for it all that you would bless it. But more importantly, we pray that people would hear the message of Jesus and that Jesus, you would be glorified in their lives and that you would become their Lord and Savior. It's why we do everything that we do. And so, Father, we give it to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. Well, hey, listen, it is week three of A Reflective Christmas. Here we go. Again, just want to welcome you guys here today. And uh, if you snuck in late, if you tuned in late, my name is Pastor Brian, the lead pastor here. So, uh, and if it's your first time or your thousandth time, you should know that our mission is the same. We want to lead people to discover Jesus and follow him fully. And so just know that we're here for you any way that we possibly can. Those chat hosts, they're available for you right now. And, and before I even start, I just want to kind of highlight some behind the scenes people. And some of those are those chat hosts that you can't even see. So we just want to give you some likes and some hearts out there for all that you do. But then there's also the people that are behind the scenes here on the Manteca campus, those people that are, that are tech guys that you never see, or the lighting people, or, or, or even like our tag team members that come in during the week to cut things out for our kids' ministry, um, and the facilities team, oh my goodness, our facilities team, just love those guys, they're doing such a great job. So if you see one of them, the behind the scenes people, they probably will run from you, that's okay, because they're introverts, that's okay, but hey, just tell them thanks, give them a hi, just tell them thank you, because they do so, so much. I just want to say thank you and also for our Crossroads online people. Um, guys, we are in week three of our series that is called A Reflective Christmas. And it's been this tremendous look at, at just really what it is to, to look back on Christmas. Because there has been uh, just a crazy time. More than ever before, I believe that we need Christmas. 
We need Christmas and we need to be ready to be telling more people about Christmas and about Jesus. But guys, it's, it's time because as we've said, we're in this, this series that's called The Reflective Christmas. And we, we want to look back on this Christmas story that had all this crazy stuff happening and everything that we're not, we think that we know, but do we really know? And it's, it's, it's a normally a story we just kind of go through the motions on. But we, we said we want to look a little closer this year. And so week one, we decided to look at the messy family tree of Jesus. That out of these broken family limbs of Jesus as the Savior of the world came. And, and Jesus actually does his best work through broken things. And as we reflect on that, week one tells us that, that Jesus is always coming for the broken because he came from the broken. So important for us to remember that. And then last week of week two, we continue to, look that, that, to realize that Jesus was not what the world was expecting. That the world was looking for a king and he came as a baby... Which is why so many people rejected him. But as we kind of looked a little bit closer and dug a little bit deeper, we realized that Jesus didn't give the world what it wanted, but exactly what it needed. The world needed a savior. It needed Emmanuel, God with us. It needed Jesus. And, and that was the way that God chose to restore us to himself was through Jesus. And if you missed any of those messages, I would encourage you to go back online, crossroadsgrace.org, or download the free app. You can find all those there. So if you're in the parking lot or online, you can take a look at that. In fact, chat host, put that link in there for people right now if you would. Uh, but, but whether you realize it or not, all of us are reflecting as we come into this time of year. I mean, let's just call it for what it is. I, I was trying to think about this, but I think 2020 has been like one of those bad infomercials that you watch, you know, and, 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 and right when you think it's over, like the, the guy pops back up and he says, but wait, there's more, you know? And, and, and instead of him slashing the prices, he triples it and then punches you in the face. Like that's what 2020 has been. Am I right? You know what I'm talking about? And, and so right now we're all reflecting on what happened around us, but we also are reflecting on what happened to us. But the Christmas story reminds us that reflecting isn't about having a pity party for ourselves, but it's actually learning about finding out what we can learn through really hard things. So, so for instance, this year we have had to adjust to all kinds of different stuff, are we right? We, we, we've even added some things to our cultural normatives, you know? So we all are amazingly good at social distancing. And we are to the inch, we know how far six feet is from somebody. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry, sir, you're five foot five away from me. Can you back up seven inches? That would be great. You know, like we're good. We see these bad boys and now that's something new in our, our criteria. And then uh, all of us kind of have gotten really comfortable with one of these. If you got kids, you are now officially um, a substitute teacher and you did it. And it was the terrible the thing ever in the world. So, but we did it. Uh, and we're hanging. So teachers, if you're in the room, God bless you. You need like a million dollar raise because I just, mwah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are all teachers clapping. Believe it or not, that's just all, all teachers, right? We've done that. Uh, but how about this? We've all become one of these, you know, hand sanitizer. We are all hand sanny snobs too because we got the ones we like and the ones we don't like, you know, because there's ones that make your hands feel just soft. And then there's ones that just like a shade above rubbing gasoline on your hands. You know, you're like smelling it for years. You're like, oh my gosh, you know, like terrible. Uh, but then I think the one that has permeated our culture the most, has infiltrated the most, is without question, this bad boy. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the mask, you know? And if you're going to go for it, you got to go all in. You know what I mean? Like you got to go for this thing. You know, like the mask. 
You know, it is, yeah, yeah, clap for that. Uh, yeah, that's a beauty, you know. This has probably been the hardest thing, right, and the most confusing thing, especially recently, to navigate. For instance, here at the church, I've had really, really good friends that have chose to leave our church because we've asked people to wear masks. And then I also have friends that are really good friends that are upset that we don't enforce masks enough. And so, so like with everything during this crazy year, there is no universal win. You're going to make somebody mad. And I, I bring this up not so that we can debate the political or the medical implications of a mask. If you want to do that, there's enough Facebook groups out there. You can just debate your face off. Just go nuts if you want to do that. That's not what we're here for. But what we cannot ignore is that this has made an impression on our society in some pretty crazy ways, too. I mean, it's funny how the advent of the mask has changed our interactions with people. I have become painfully aware of how much I need the nose and a mouth of a person to properly identify them. Can I get an amen from anybody, you know? <laughs> you would think that the eyes and a good set of hair would be enough, but no, 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 no. Those three holes seem to bring the whole face together, you know? I'll give you a second to do the math on that to realize why that was actually funny, and uh, we'll do that. But you know what I mean? Uh, case in point, one of our pastors on staff uh, was at Home Depot with one of, one of, his, one of his kids. And, and they were walking around, and they are getting their stuff, and they went to the checkout line. And, and, and he met this, this lady with a mask on and everything, and, and, and they got to talking. And, and sure enough, she, she comes to Crossroads. She's part of Crossroads. And they were talking for a good amount of time. And, and it just really played. He didn't he really know who she is. And guys, just so you understand, we're not being rude. We just, sometimes we just don't know. Okay, it's really hard now. And, and so uh, she's wearing a mask. They were talking for a good amount of time. And they ended up, like, walking out, paying for their, their stuff about the same time and walked out when they took off their mask. And, 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 and our pastor realized that, that it, was, it was his assistant for the past eight years that he was talking to. And they had been working together for nine, okay? And I would never throw anybody under the bus. But Pastor Ed, that was really bad. Like, that was, that was bad. Oh, my goodness, it was bad. So, and so Jillian's in counseling. It's okay. We're going to get her through it and everything. But um, I've walked into Target. I haven't recognized my own family sometimes. Like, I don't even know because... Because here's what's happened. Masks let us hide behind them and they conceal our identity. A, a little bit, you know? And, and you might not have realized this, though. But at the Christmas story, there's, there actually are some moments of masks, too. And, and let me explain what I mean. Uh, because when Jesus came, he might as well have been wearing a mask onto the scene of history. I mean, you know, he, he silently slipped under the world's gaze and, and was nothing short of, like, ninja-like when he came. Like I said last week, the world wasn't waiting for an infant savior. That's what, what they're waiting for. They were looking in palaces for a king, not a stable for a baby. But if you're like me, you have to be saying to yourself, hang on, hang on, wait a minute. <laughs> like, like, wait a minute. You, you, you couldn't see this coming, people? I mean, I mean, come on. You guys have been talking about this for hundreds of years, for this moment. You've had prophets that you have been studying about where and how and when this whole Messiah would come. So why in the world would this thing be a surprise to you? How, how could a world so steeped in religious tradition miss out on the Messiah that God had said was going to be coming for centuries? And then to make matters worse, Jesus in his life, throughout his whole ministry, Jesus seemed to keep pointing back to the Christmas story. Time after time, he would say things that brought us back to Bethlehem 
That moment where, uh, where, where hundreds of Old Testament prophecies converged on themselves. Uh, Leonard Sweet and Frank Viola, they actually wrote a book called um, Jesus of Theography. Really interesting and great book about Jesus. But in it they point out some reflections between Jesus and the Christmas story that are hard to ignore. Uh, for instance, in John 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, which actually means house of bread. Uh, John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus was born under the light of the star of Bethlehem. John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. The doors of the guest house were locked to Mary and Joseph, but the stable gate was wide open. John 10, 14 through 15, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Baby Jesus was actually sought out by shepherds when they were looking for a baby wrapped in swaddling bands and lying in a manger. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus survived being a, by the attempted assassination by King Herod on his life. John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. Wise men found their way to him, recognized the truth about him, and defy, defied the King Herod's evil plot. And then what about John 15, 5? He says, I am the truth, or I am the true vine. Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Epaphrath, which means fruitful. See, see, everywhere you turn, you see Jesus pointing back to this Christmas story. And, and here's why I find this amazing and encouraging. Because when we reflect on the words of Jesus, the, guys, these aren't conditional statements. That they don't have multiple ways of interpreting them. No, Jesus says, he says, I am. Like, I, I, I am, and that ends the story. But let's think a, a little bit more about these two words here for a second and why they're actually powerful and important. Because the phrase, I am, is a very powerful phrase even outside of thinking about it in the Bible. J just for a moment, think about it. When you say, hey, I am going to exercise and eat better. Well, you've decided that you're going to make some changes in your life to be more healthy, and you've become resolute by saying, yep, I am going to do these things. How about when you say, I am going to, uh, I, I, I'm, I am not going to take this abuse any longer and I'm going to leave. You, you said that I'm decided I'm going to make some changes in my life for the betterment of my family and my health. What about when you say, I am a believer in Jesus. You said you have made a firm stance on what you believe and you've personalized it. You said, I am. You've personally identified with that belief system. So, so when we hear Jesus say, I am the, the light of the world, for instance, that seems to match up with what we just said. He's making a definitive statement about himself. Except the Bible, in the Bible, the phrase I am is, has a much deeper meaning. I am is used over 300 times in the Bible. It starts in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. It's the first time we see it is actually when God is speaking to a man named Abram or Abraham. Abraham is one of the first people in the Bible that God speaks to and says, hey, I'm going to start this covenant with you and you're going to be a great nation one day. And so God says to Abram in 15:1, he says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And then the 300th time we find in the very last book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 22, verse 16. And Jesus, here Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright morning star. So what gives? What's up with all these I am things? Well, you see the phrase I am is much more powerful than just you and I saying, hey, I am going to lose weight. 
In the Bible, I am is the name that God gives for himself. And the most vivid depiction of this is actually in the interaction that God has with a guy named Moses around a burning bush. So if, if, you, uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, that's totally cool, no problem. Or maybe did you, you might have fallen asleep in, in Sunday school class when they did the flannel graphs growing up. Anybody remember the flannel graphs? Oh, oh, praise Jesus for the flannel graphs. Remember those things. Oh, my goodness. Well, if you did that like me, let me pull you up to speed on about 80 years of biblical history in two minutes, okay? So Moses, Moses was a man in the Old Testament. He was born into Egyptian royalty after his Hebrew mother actually put him in a basket, floated him down the Nile River so that he wouldn't be killed. Well, in amongst the reeds, he was actually found by Pharaoh's daughter who was bathing. She pulls him out of the, out of the reeds and, and makes her his, her own son. So Moses is raised in the, in the royal palace for 40 years. And so one day he went to check on his own people, the Hebrews. And when he went there, he, he noticed that the Hebrews were actually, they were slaves to the Egyptians. So when he went there, he saw the Egyptians abusing a, a Hebrew. He got mad. He kills the Egyptian, buries the body. Well, Pharaoh finds out about it, and that wasn't going to go over well. So Moses actually, he, 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 he runs. He gets out of there. Goes to a place called Moab, and he gets married. He's tending flocks for his father-in-law, Jethro, for about 40 years. And one day on that 40th year, he was out there tending flocks and he looks to the side and all of a sudden there's a bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. Hence the name burning bush. Moses approaches this bush. God speaks to him through the flames and says, hey, I need you to return to Egypt. I want you to set my people free. Moses is like, yeah, that's probably not the best idea. Kind of murdered a guy. Not going to go over well. Probably on Egyptians most wanted. But God says, hey, I want you to go. So he starts asking God, he's like, hey, how is this whole thing going to work? What am I supposed to say to the people and to Pharaoh like when, they start saying, when I start saying all these things? And so this is what God says. He said, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. God says, he says, listen, um, he, just, he says, just tell him, I am who I am. In other words, another way you could say that is, I will be who I will be. It's, it's a definitive statement of who he is. I am who I am. There is no other. There is no questioning. There is no exception to the rule. God says, I am who I am. So, so when Jesus came from heaven to earth, cracked open the sky with the small cry of a baby, it was as in essence he was telling the world, I am here. But as you reflect back on the Christmas story, you might wonder, because under the world's gaze for 33 years, the I am was here, and he was there for anybody to see. He says, hey, I am here. I'm right here. Yet so many missed him. Or maybe it's because they were choosing not to see him. Or they were choosing not to look. Or they were asleep because of all the stuff that was happening around them. They had put on masks to maybe to conceal their identity and just hope that maybe they could just hide out and Jesus wouldn't see them. So I just wonder in this year that has caused us to reflect on so much that maybe we can consider some things that we missed out on too. I mean, things that are deeper than vacations or, or raises or pools in your backyard. Like, I just wonder how many of us have missed out on, on some moments with good friends before they passed away. M missing out on memories that you can never get back, like with our graduating seniors and our students. 
maybe even missed chances to save your marriage because of selfishness and bitterness that was harbored so long. Reflecting can cause you to see what you've missed. But reflection can also let us see what God has been doing that we might have taken for granted. Or maybe that we just flat out missed because we couldn't see it happening. God chose to bring the Savior of the world in the most unexpected way, in the most unexpected form, to an unexpecting world. But while the, while the world was sleeping on God, God was working. He was putting into motion one of the greatest rescue mission plans of all time. October 26th, 2020, 27-year-old American Philip Walton was kidnapped in Nigeria right outside, right outside of his home. Um, he was the father of a young daughter and uh, he had a beautiful wife. Uh, they were trying to extort him for money. That's what they really wanted. But they, when he only had $40, they kidnapped him instead. And, and Nigeria is an interesting place because it's plagued with kidnappings and terrorists. There's tension all throughout the nation and it, and it grows daily how difficult that is. And, and so the officials knew that they had a very small window, a window of time to act before Philip would either be harmed or killed or sold to ISIS or Al-Qaeda. And so with absolutely no time to spare and with very limited intelligence, the U.S. and Nigerian officials worked together to try to hopefully rescue and to save Philip. In the early hours of October 31st, under the cover of night, the elite SEAL Team 6, they carried out a precision hostage rescue mission to try to free Philip. And the SEAL Team worked so quickly, they eliminated all of the captors without ever hurting any, even, even with one U.S. casualty. But imagine what those five days must have been like for Philip. Put yourself there. Lost. You're alone. You're scared. You have no idea if you'll ever see your wife, your little girl again. Absolutely no idea if, if, if help was ever going to come. And if you put yourself in that moment and allow yourself to realize that all of a sudden that, that, that bursting through the dark of night comes this flash of hope and in the matter of a couple minutes you go from being a captive to being completely free. How amazing would that moment would have been? What a story. And let me tell you um, an even better one than that. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. The words of that famous carol echoed through the halls of heaven. The world... The world that was created by the creator himself, the world that was perfect in every way, the world that man and woman who were embossed with the image of God himself, that world had now separated herself from him. Not by accident, not, not by any plan of God's, but because God loved this world so much that it gave them the freedom of choice. He wanted the world to want to love him, so he let them choose him or not. And no sooner had God finished his rest on that seventh day than that man and woman that he had, that he had handcrafted by his image, did they then choose something other than him? 
in, in, the, in, that, in the world, it would never be the same. Because the world was now fractured. It was now broken. And, and sure, the mountains would still tower in majesty. The oceans would still teem with life and power. And the birds of the air would still soar in beauty. And the animals would roam with thunderous herds. But the, but the pinnacle of God's creation, man, would never, ever be the same. And it's only gotten worse through the years that have been distant from that very moment. The choice made to move away from God, it broke the bond. And that choice came with only one, one option, one consequence, and that was eternal separation from God himself. You see, the perfect cannot be with the imperfect or it fails to be perfect any longer. In other words, that the holiness of God cannot be in with the sinfulness of us. And so that what we chose in sin gave us the consequences that we now receive as well. We were now being held hostage by our sin. But as a loving God, he could not bear to be without us. And so he promised the world that he would make a way to make things right that he would send a Messiah, he would send a Savior, one that would rescue the world from the sin that they had chosen. And for hundreds of years, he told the world through the prophets and the priests how the Savior would come. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Where he would come from, but you, Bethlehem, of Apathra, though you are small among the clan of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will rule over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. How the world could find him, I see him, but now, I, I see him, but not now, I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. And in what he would be called, and what he would come to do. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God laid the rescue plan out for all to hear, for all to know, because the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. So in God's patience, he waited until just the right time for the rescue mission to begin. But when the set time had fully come, God had sent his son. <laughs> A child? How crazy is it to think that the rescue plan of God was not with heavenly Navy SEALs swooping in from land, sea, and air. It wasn't shock and awe against the world, but it was cries and coos to love the world. And it did not come from the power, our power, or our abilities to overcome the effects of our sin, but from the gentle gift that only God can give because every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. And the heavenly light, the light of the world, Jesus Christ came to live amongst us through a young girl, a scared young man, and in a town that was so obscure that no one would think that the Savior of the world would come. As she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. And this Jesus, he grew. In fact, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God, with God and man. And, and as his favor grew, and so did the crowds grow around him, and they were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one that had authority, not like the teachers of the law. 
But this rescue was not without opposition. See, the religious leaders, they hated Jesus and the message that he came with because it flew in the face of everything that they taught in front of their, of their power and their influence. And so as Jesus grew more and more popular, the jealousy grew exponentially as well. It grew so much that they schemed to arrest Jesus and secretly wanted to kill him. And they succeeded in their plan. They turned some of one of Jesus' friends against him, created false charges against him, had him thrown in front of Roman officials, and they used manipulation to get their desired outcome. And ultimately brought the Savior of the world to his very own execution on a cross. But that did not deter our hero, even though it brought great pain to him physically and spiritually. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And as he hung on that cross lifeless, it looked as though the rescue was over. It looked like the enemy had won. It looked like all hope was gone. But three days later in an empty tomb, our great hero Jesus proved the battle was not over because he had swallowed up death forever. He raises from the dead. He shatters the hold that sin had on our life and he accomplishes the mission to set the oppressed free. God's mission, talked about hundreds of years before it happened, now was being accomplished. The oppressed in you and me, now we can be free because of Jesus. And as the former Navy SEAL Eric Ulrich talked about that rescue mission of that of Philip, they, he said of these Navy SEALs, those men put someone else's life above their own. They do so selflessly. It is an illustration of utter commitment. That is what Jesus did for us. He put our lives ahead of his own and by doing so he showed the ultimate commitment to us of his love of us. Who, who once had been masked and hidden in the world's eyes is now the promise that God itself had brought to bring us freedom, Jesus. And as we reflect on this Christmas story, we can see that God has been working and he's been keeping his promises the whole time. He brought Jesus into a sleeping world to wake it up. And perhaps he's doing the very same thing today. Maybe today, maybe now God will use this time to wake up an unexpecting world yet again in ways that are the most effective for his glory. Perhaps Christmas is the moment where we can look back on our moments that we miss, but commit not to miss out on another moment with Jesus ever again. Christmas shows us that while the world fell asleep on God, God never fell asleep on them or you. The greatest rescue mission of all time that we remember at Christmas. See, I don't know what kind of year you've had, but I do know this, that all of us in some form or fashion, are being held hostage. Held hostage by fear, by the unknown, by our sin, whatever it may be, we all are being held hostage by something. And what Christmas reminds us of and what communion reminds us of every week is that there is freedom offered to you. That you don't have to sit in that jail cell. That you can walk free because it only has three walls. You can walk out of it free in the confidence of Christ because he was there to set the captives free. And the proof of that is on that blooded cross, that empty tomb. The proof of that is in a manger 
where the light of the world came to begin the greatest rescue story of all time. And what does he ask you of us? It's to believe in him as our Lord and Savior, to, to repent of our past, to embrace our future that's found in him, to live a life that he's called us to live to the full, and to do that with a confidence knowing that he's, he's already paid the price. He's already done the work. The rescue is over if we'll just get in the helicopter and we'll just accept his love. So as we sing and we worship and we prepare our hearts for communion, I hope that you'll do that same thing. Consider where you're being held hostage, where you're being held back, and let Jesus free you, free you this Christmas so it'll mean something better than ever before. Let's pray. God, we just come before you and are, are just overwhelmed that you are a God that loves us so much that you would actually send your son for us. I know for me, there's some things in my life that I'm awfully embarrassed about, some things that aren't pretty, things that I wish I could just erase from my life and never have everybody know about them. But I'm so grateful that that is not how you see me and that you define me, that you see me as lost but now found in Jesus and that because of his love for me, I can be made whole and I don't have to wear a mask anymore. I don't have to be held hostage by my sin. I can walk in freedom because of you, Jesus. So I pray that if anyone hasn't done that, that they would just simply start walking with you, Jesus, that they would repent of their past, they'd embrace their future, that they would em embrace the gospel message, Jesus, that says that if, if we believe in you as our Lord and Savior, then you don't see our sin anymore. You only see you and your love and your forgiveness. So Father, as we worship, as we prepare our hearts for communion now, I pray that you would, your spirit would move and that you would remind us we can be free, that you love us. Jesus, it's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.